This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Today, I'm going to talk with Joel Holland of Videoblocks, and Videoblocks is a service that sells stock video footage uh, for a subscription, and he bootstrapped the business, and he had some really interesting takes on you know his strategy in the early days for onboarding customers, for setting up his pricing model, and for selling, because you know when you bootstrap, you got to be selling. So we're going to get into all of that today. It's a really good one, so stick around. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. And now here's Joel Holland. Kind of quite simply, Videoblocks is similar to Shutterstock and Getty and iStock. 
uh, in that we're a stock media provider. Uh, we focus primarily on video. So Videoblocks has video clips we've shot all over the world, all different countries, um, you know, U.S., explosions, effects, motion backgrounds, helicopters in the sky, getting things like the Hollywood sign that video editors can then download and incorporate into their projects. And so we have um, 130,000 members because we are a membership site, um, kind of not unlike Netflix in that you, you pay $99 a year and you have unlimited download access to everything in our unlimited library. And once you download that content, you can use it in any type of project. So to give you a couple fun examples, I, on the high end, um, I used to love the show Parks and Recreation, um, you know, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. They used to use a lot of our skylines. So if there was a, uh. a, an episode that took place in Washington, D.C. or New York, and you saw the White House, right, that would actually, they would download that from us instead of sending a crew all the way to D.C. to shoot video of the White House. Wow, okay. Yep. Um, yeah, and then, and then you know, that we also have thousands of YouTubers who use us to make their videos look more professional and more exciting. We have wedding videographers who use it to you know, make weddings more exciting. Um, so it really runs the gamut. I think in general what we're seeing you know, these days is creativity is running rampant, and it's awesome. Right? Everybody that has a cell phone has a video camera and a great picture-taking device, and people are just creating more content. So we're, th- we're there as the assist to help you make better content. How did you get into this space, creating stock video? Yeah, I actually, I got into it out of a, out of a need. I was an independent video maker in high school and I had this cool opportunity where I was able to go and do interviews with really interesting people to get their advice for teenagers. And I ended up somehow convincing Arnold Schwarzenegger to sit down (laughs) with me to do this interview. And I flew out to Los Angeles from, from DC had you know, a small camera crew, some you know, cameras, lights, audio. We shot this interview. His advice was fantastic, but the actual production value of the show was very boring. Okay. Right? It, was like, it was like Charlie Rose for teenagers, which is a total disconnect. <laughs> and as I sat there watching it, I'm like, I don't get it. I'm like, this is great content, like great narrative. The narrative's great. How do I make this interesting? And I started looking at Discovery Channel and realizing that they were utilizing fast cuts. They had all these like um, all this footage they were cutting into their shows to make it move really quickly. They had music to make it more lively, right? Mm-hmm. They had effects and transitions. And I basically came to realize this was all stock content, but I couldn't afford it as an independent video maker right. because at the time it was just like asininely expensive, right? It was like thousands and thousands of dollars and I had tens of dollars. So... I took a year off between high school and college and set out with a video camera and a tripod and started shooting video uh, and selling on eBay to see if there are others like me. And it worked. And today we sell so, $20 million a year worth of this stuff. So you were selling like rolls, like a DVD of stock footage that was like yeah, commercially man. licensed? Totally. So okay. this is funny, like back in the day, and this was 2003. So 2003, I graduated high school, took that year off. I was actually selling and shipping tape, like mini DV tapes and <laughs> yeah. DV cam tapes, which is, it is so funny to think. And that was not even that long ago. Um, then we had this huge innovation and moved to data DVD. And we're, we were actually shipping uh, all these video clips on data DVDs. And one of our claims to fame, we shipped over a million 
DVDs of stock video content. Wow. Uh, which is awesome. And yeah. they're all somewhere. I love knowing that they're somewhere right now, whether it's a landfill or someone's house. Like these things are physically <laughs> taking up space somewhere. <laughs> but uh, we then in 2010 saw the writing on the wall and moved, you know, launched videoblocks.com and made it all entirely electronic. Okay. How did you find those initial customers um, who were looking for the stock footage as well? Were, were, and, and I should ask, were you, what was your price point at that time? Yeah. So, man, I, it's a great question. And I, step, I sat back at the time. I was like, okay, I can create the stuff myself so I can focus on making the product, but I don't have the funding to both buy a video camera and a tripod and plane tickets and market. So I'm like, I have to choose one or the other. So I focused on making content and fortunately was able to go to eBay, which had a built-in buying market, right? Okay. And so eBay back in the day was where I test marketed stuff. And I threw it up there, tried all different names, different terms, what to call it. And I think I sold it for like $35 a tape. So it was stupid cheap. Okay. And the idea was anybody, nobody would have had, you know, at the time stock video wasn't the thing. So I was banking on someone coming across this going, Ooh, that's an actually interesting idea. And for 35 bucks, why not? Right. And that's, and that's kind of how it played out. Huh? Okay. Okay. And so when you launched video blocks, um, you know, you, you, you were selling these tapes for $35 and you just get the stock. Where did the SAS idea come from? So, you know, the, the really one of the biggest motivations was Netflix. Okay. Because I looked at Netflix and I realized, here's a company that's making movie watching like in bulk, very affordable. So um, you know you can pay eight bucks a month and have access to as much as you want, and that's cool, right? I'm like, that's amazing. Um, even people who used to pirate videos would be willing to pay eight bucks a month to not have to use you know torrent websites to download stuff illegally. And, and I loved that model because what, what I wanted to create was an accessible price point that would open up the market to you know hundreds of thousands of customers, not just the big agencies and studios. <laughs> and so the beauty of the subscription was I could you know basically keep the price as low as possible. And as long as I had the volume of subscribers, I could get the cash flow necessary to fund operations and fund growth and ultimately fund marketing. So it was really a total, I don't want to call it a shot in the dark uh, because it was an educated um, guess, but there was nothing like it. And so when we launched Video Blocks, it was a totally new model. And luckily it, took off, it, it, it caught on and took off. So you guys are at what, 25 million recurring now? Um, That's right. You've grown to? This year we'll do uh, like, yeah, between 20, by around probably 26 million recurring. What have you learned? How has your, your SaaS model evolved over the years? Um, or maybe what are the, some of the things that you tried over the years um, to, to experiment in that SaaS world? Yeah, so I think that the biggest learning of all that everyone should walk away from this with is you, you got to test everything, mm. right? So you start, you know, at video blocks, we, we use what we call probably just what is called hypothesis driven testing. So when we first launched video blocks, um, not only was it a new product, I had no idea how to price it. And, you know, you don't just throw a hail Mary with pricing. So we tested multiple price points simultaneously 
and, and there are great tools now for testing, um, like Optimizely, right? So, and we use it today still. Um, so, you know, you're going to, you're trying to find out if there's a product market fit, right? Do people actually want what you're selling? Um, and if they do want it, do they actually want it as a subscription, right? Like there, there are a ton of subscription companies today that are just excited about having recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's awesome, but it does not work for everything, right? Like there, there are just companies that are trying to put subscriptions around things that don't work. So it needs to be a product that people really do need on a recurring basis. And so I think that, um, in addition to testing, we learned you test everything from price point to landing pages to call to action. Um, the second thing is you need to make sure your subscribers are, are actually acting like subscribers. So if you're having a you know, really high churn rate, you know, people that are canceling and not renewing, that might indicate either your product sucks or it just really shouldn't be a subscription. And this is one of the things that HomeJoy, as an example, you know, is a great concept of finding people to clean your house, but they, they realized people would find a cleaner and then start working with that cleaner directly and did not need HomeJoy as an intermediary. So as a subscription service, it kind of faltered, right? And it imploded. Um, so I think that, you know, testing, you know, make sure that there's actually a need for a subscription on your product. And then, you know, the third thing is, is keep it simple. Uh, you know, when someone comes to your website, they need to immediately know what you're selling them. And you want to keep it as friction-free as possible. So in our, in our instance, we had this product that nobody had heard of, and I knew it was going to be difficult to simply say, here's what we do, now give me your money. Mm-hmm. And so instead we employed uh, another you know, tactic from Netflix, which was the, the free trial. And we tested different durations, we tested the amount of content to give away, and ultimately found that for us, seven days of free access to video blocks, downloading 20 clips a day um, from anything in the library, gave users um, a good idea of what we were offering, gave us seven days to try to win them over to being paying members. And it was a really easy request. Like you got to the site and I was like, hey, this is free, just fill out a form. And it made it really friction-free and simple for people to get into our funnel. 